All right, if you wouldn't open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. We'll read the first 14 verses. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden it all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning you should burn with fire. And thus shall you eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Thank God for his word. Let's bow together. Our Father, we bow before you this evening, a thankful people. How thankful we are that by your mercy and grace, by the blood and the sacrifice, the righteousness of your Son, that sinful men and women such as we are can come before your throne accepted, accepted in the beloved and call you our Father. Oh, how thankful we are. Father, we're thankful for your sovereign, electing, redeeming, regenerating, keeping grace. Oh, how we thank you that you in your eternal purpose, purposed to save a sinful people. And that you sent your Son in the fullness of time to fully redeem those people by his sacrifice. Father, we're so thankful. Father, I pray that this evening that we might be enabled by thy Spirit to look into your word, to see the Lord Jesus Christ, to see him with eyes of faith, to have our hearts burst within us The amazing truth, the truth that's beyond the ability of human tongue to tell, that the Son of God would sacrifice himself 
to put away the sin of his people, to satisfy justice for them, that your justice may pass over us because your justice was fully exhausted upon Christ our substitute. Father, enable us tonight to worship. I pray that you would deliver us from just going through the motions of religion. Don't let us just have a religious service. But Father, speak to us by your word. Enable us to believe. Enable us to believe and rest upon our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for this past year. We thank you for the blessings of it. We thank you for the trials of it, what you've been pleased to teach your people. Father, we especially thank you that, that you've seen fit to keep your promise to your people, that you'd not leave nor forsake them, that in the trials and difficulties that you've seen of this life, you've also seen grace that's been sufficient. We're thankful. And Father, I ask you to bless us again. Bless us as we look into your word to end this, this old year and begin the new one by looking to Christ our Savior. It's in his precious name, for his sake we pray. Amen. Right, I've titled the message this evening, First Things for the New Year. I suppose it's human nature at this time of year for folks to kind of evaluate themselves at the end of the year and make resolutions or make decisions. What, what can I do differently? What can I do better in this coming new year. I don't blame people for making those resolutions. I long ago quit making them because I I saw how I I never kept them, so why bother? And I don't know how much, you know, about, you know, you really want to change in this new year. Nothing about this gospel. Nothing about this, this worship of God we have. I don't want to change that at all, but our text gives us five things that are the most important things for the believer in this new year and really in every year of our lives. These five things are the basic truths that form the foundation of of faith for every believer. And I think since this is the end of the old year, the beginning of the new year, it'd be a good time to review these five things. These are the most important primary things. I'll show you where I got my the title for the message this evening. You look at verse 1 of Exodus 12. And Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. And the word beginning there doesn't just mean the start of the year. It means the chief thing. It's the top thing. It's the principal thing. And the first, he said, this will be the first month of the year to you. That doesn't mean the first chronologically. It means the primary thing. So this day, the Lord's getting ready to, to explain to them this day, this, this uh, ceremony that they will observe as a picture of Christ. What's happening on this day is so important, it changed the whole calendar. I mean, you just turned the year upside down. Can you imagine April is now January? I mean, the whole year just gets turned on its ear, gets turned upside down, doesn't it? That's what happened. To the Jews, their, their whole calendar got turned upside down because what's happening on this day is so important. Now the gospel that's preached in a picture in this first Passover contains the chief things, the primary things, the most important truths of the gospel that we believe. And I'm telling you this, 
If God ever gives you faith to believe it, it'll change you completely. It'll turn your whole world upside down. Everything's going to change. So here's the first thing we learn from this day. There must be a lamb for the sacrifice. Verse 3. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying in the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Now, you know, really, this is the theme of the whole Old Testament. There's got to be a lamb. There's got to be a lamb for the sacrifice. If you didn't know anything about the Bible whatsoever, and you just thought, well, I'm going to read it like I do any other book, I'm going to start at page one and just read through it. As you read through the Old Testament, if you didn't know anything at all about the New Testament, you'd think, I better start herding sheep, because I need a bunch of lambs. If I'm going to have all these sacrifices, I've got to have a bunch of lambs. That's what you think, isn't it? Well, we do have the Old Testament, or the New, the, the New Testament. So here's what we know. All these Old Testament lambs and bullocks and, and rams and goats, all these, all these animals that were sacrificed, they're all pictures. They're pictures of somebody who's coming. We know the blood of those animals never did take away any sin. The blood of bulls and goats can never take away sins. But this is what we know by God's grace. Aren't you glad to live at, at, at this time where we have the New Testament to explain the Old Testament? We know that Christ has come. He's come as the Lamb of God. It's no accident, John the Baptist, when he first identified the Savior in his, as he began his public ministry, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. This is the one all of the Old Testament promised was coming. And he's going to do what all those bulls, all those rams, all those sheep, all those sacrifices, all those turtle doves, those rivers and rivers and rivers of blood that they shed, he's going to do what no animal sacrifice could ever do. He's going to take away the sin of his people. And that's just what he did. We know this from the New Testament that Christ has come and his blood did what he intended for it to do. It took away the sin of his people. Now, these, all the lambs offered in the Old Testament were pictures of Christ that would come. And the Passover lamb, boy, it's a clear one. I mean, such a clear picture of Christ. First, the Passover lamb was taken for a specific people, wasn't it? The Lord told Moses and Aaron, you tell the people, take a lamb for, for a house. That lamb was a sacrifice for a specific house. For a specific person in a specific house. The lamb was a substitute for the firstborn in this house. In this house. The lamb wasn't a substitute for the Egyptians firstborn, was it? This lamb's not a substitute for the neighbors or the fellow across the street for his firstborn. This lamb is a substitute for the firstborn in this house. That's pretty specific, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's a picture of Christ our Savior. He came to be the substitute for specific people, for God's elect, for spiritual Israel. Christ didn't come to, to shed his blood for every son of Adam and see who might decide to accept him. That wasn't the way this Passover lamb sacrificed, was it? It was sacrificed for a specific person. So was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was sacrificed for his bride. So he's sacrificed for a specific person, and the Passover lamb had to be perfect. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. 
See, the lamb selected to be the Passover lamb. You know, if a fella has a, a bunch of, I don't even call them a herd or what do you call but He has, has a bunch of sheep. He can't pick out a, an old one or sick one, one, one that's going to die, you know, soon anyway. The lamb that's selected for this sacrifice has to be in the prime of his life it, when he's got the most physical strength. Because when this lamb dies at the appointed hour, when all of Israel kills it together in the evening, this lamb's not going to die of old age. He's not going to die because he was sick. This lamb's going to die because his life was sacrificed. This lamb died as a substitute so that the firstborn could live. And this lamb must be perfect because he's a picture. A picture of Christ, the Lamb of God. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ came, and this is just a historical fact that everybody knows. Jesus of Nazareth died on a cross. But the Lord Jesus didn't die on the cross against his will. He didn't lose his life because he finally didn't have the strength to live anymore. The Lord Jesus gave his life a ransom for many. When it came time for him to die, when the sacrifice was complete, the transaction was done, what happened? He had to give up the ghost. It couldn't be taken from him. He gave up his ghost. He died willingly as a substitute for his people so that his people would never die. And this lamb to be sacrificed, it had to be perfect. It couldn't have any blemish. It it couldn't have any bruises or mange or or missing limbs. It couldn't have any hidden defect. Verse 6. And you should keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Now that lamb had to be watched for 14 days, make sure it didn't have any hidden disease or something. And I'll tell you why that had to be done. Because this lamb's a type of Christ. The Lord Jesus lived roughly 33 and a half years as a man on this earth. He spent three and a half of those years in a public ministry. And all during that time, men watched him intensely. They watched They watch closely because they are trying to find some fault in him. They're trying to find some fault in his conduct. They're trying to find some fault in his doctrine. They're trying to find some fault in in what he did. And they watched and watched and watched and watched and watched. And they couldn't find any fault in him. And they knew it. When the Pharisees decided we finally had enough, we're going to put this man to death and wash our hands of this man, what did they do? They had to find witnesses who were willing to lie. Because nobody could truthfully say they saw any fault in him. Pilate, I mean, this is a a heathen man. Summed it up for everybody, I find no fault in him. And you know what else? Much more importantly than that, the all-seeing eye of the Father didn't see any imperfection in him either. Saw no sin, saw no fault. He saw he was perfect. The father watched as his son became a man and he watched him. He fully pleased his father by obeying his law perfectly. He did everything that the father sent him to do perfectly. In word, in deed, even in motive and heart. Haven't you done the right thing sometimes but grumbled in your heart? Never the Lord. Never. Never always with a perfect, pure motive. 
Now, here's why the perfection of Christ is so important, that he was sinless. If the Lord Jesus Christ is not sinless, he can't save anybody. He could not put away the sin of others if sin was in himself. If sin had tainted his blood, his blood wouldn't be able to wash anybody else from their sin. But since the Lord Jesus Christ is perfect, his blood atoned, his blood covered, his blood washed away the sin of all of his people so that it's gone forever. See, he can only do that if he was perfect. And the death of Christ as a substitute for his people satisfied the justice of his father. The death of Christ paid the debt in full. There's no more debt. If Christ died for you, there's no more debt. Almighty God has no reason to be angry with you if Christ died for you. There's no more sin. The blood of Christ put it away. And that's why the Father can pass over his people. When he comes in judgment and justice, he can pass over his people because the blood of his Son atoned for the sin of his people and put it away. The Father is never going to kill anybody. He's never going to condemn anybody to the second death if Christ died for him. Because Christ already died. And he's only demanding one death for one sin. That's what happened on this first Passover. When the Lord passed over the houses, why did he pass over? Why did he kill the firstborn in this Egyptian household and pass over this um, the house of this Jew? Why did he do that? Because there's blood on the door. And you know what the blood said? There's already been death in this house tonight. No need for another one. And he could pass over that house. His justice could pass over that house in truth. And the same thing is true of all of God's people. God's justice is going to pass over them. Because Christ, the Lamb of God, has died in their place. as their substitute. Now there must be a lamb. I mean, that's just the most obvious thing Anybody that can understand the English language, start reading the Bible, can understand this. There's got to be a lamb, doesn't there? That's the first thing. That's the primary thing, isn't it? Now, I'll tell you what the primary thing for you and me to do. Now, there's got to be a lamb. The primary thing for you and me to do is to seek him. And that's my second point. There must be a lamb for me. For me. Now, there had to be a lamb, didn't there? There had to be a lamb for every firstborn. Every firstborn, the lamb had to be slain. The blood had to be applied to the door of his house. It didn't matter if there was a lamb next door and that lamb was, was sacrificed and that lamb was eaten and the blood was put on, the, on his neighbor's door. It had to be on his house, on his door. If not, when God passed through justice and judgment that night, he's going to die. If there's not blood on his door, there's got to be a lamb for me. Now here's the picture. It's not just good enough to know there's got to be a sacrifice for sin. The people of Adam's race are sinful and there's got to be a sacrifice for their sin. Now that's true, but that's not good enough just to know that. It's not good enough just to know this. The lamb must be killed. That's true. The lamb must be killed. He must be sacrificed. But that's not good enough. What I need is the Holy Spirit to show me I need a lamb sacrifice for me. For my sin. See, here's, here's the problem. 
were born in this world with Adam's nature. Adam, after he fell, he became blind. His mind became dead, so it couldn't see the obvious. I mean, just, just one proof I'll give you of that is Adam's trying to hide from God. Hide from God. And he tries to blame his sin on God. Only, only a mind that don't work is, is going to try to do that. You and I come into this world with that same dead mind. And we think we're just fine. We're just, I'm doing the best that I can and we think that's good enough. And here's what I need the Holy Spirit to teach me. I need the Holy Spirit to teach me, Brady, I'm the sinner. I'm the sinner. I mean, you don't have to be right bright to look out at the world and see everybody else as a sinner, do you? I mean, it's just not hard to see a sin nature in everybody else. My problem is I don't see it in me because I'm spiritually blind. And I need God to teach me I'm the chief of sinners. This is what, I mean, this is get right down to brass tacks. This is what I need God to teach me. God's going to be just if he sends me to hell. That's a fact. Now, there's not a person ever born in this world was born in this world knowing that. We all think just the opposite. God would become be just to send me to hell unless Christ the Lamb, he suffers and dies for my sin. He suffers and dies for me because that's what I deserve. You see, this thing of, of putting away my sin, it can't be left to chance. It can't be left to chance. I need God to come and save me on purpose. Because if any part of my salvation is left up to me, I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. If it's left up to my decision, brother, God's going to send me to hell. If it's up to my morality and and my orthodoxy and my faithfulness, God's going to send me to hell. I need God to come and do all of the saving for me. I need him to do it on purpose. Well, here's the good news of the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ came and he died. He died for a specific people. He died for the people that the Father gave him to save, God's elect. And all of those people shall be saved. They shall be. They can't perish because the perfect lamb died in their place. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Well, who's the us? It's God's people. The people that God gave to his son. And those people shall be saved. They shall be. Now, the first thing, the most important thing for you and me, is that we seek Christ to be my Savior. I implore you, you seek Christ to be your Savior, your Savior. The first thing, the most important thing for me, is to come fall at the feet of Christ and beg Him to have mercy on my sinful soul. I can't make myself one of the elect, can you? Can't do that. But I've made myself a sinner, and I know this, I need mercy. Well, the first thing I can do, primary thing, the most important thing is beg God for mercy because I can't live without it. I can't live without Christ. I can't live without his sacrifice for me. 
I need Christ to die for me. To die for me. I've said this before, and it's worth repeating, because if you don't know Christ, you don't get it yet. We, you, you hear us talk, I'd say probably, in every message, at some point you hear us say something about God's elect, don't you? And we think, well, if I'm one of God's elect, I'll be saved. Well, you know, I, I don't come to Christ because I know I'm one of God's elect. Christ came to save sinners. Well, I know I'm a sinner. You come to Christ and beg for mercy because you're a sinner. You'll find out soon enough you came because God was calling you first. <laughs> I came because God chose me first. But he, God's not going to reveal to you you're one of his elect first. First thing he's going to reveal to you is you're a sinner who needs a savior. Here's the Savior. Here he is being lifted up in the preaching of the gospel. Now you come to him begging for mercy. And when he shows mercy on you, you'll find out soon enough. Oh, I was one of God's elect all along. I just didn't know it. I just didn't know it. I need Christ to die for me. And here's the third thing. The blood of the lamb has got to be applied to me. It's got to be applied to me. Verse 7. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and an upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Now, why is it so important? The blood of the lamb's got to be on the outside of that house. It's got to be on the sides of the door and the top of the door. Why is that so important? Well, the Lord tells us down here in verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now on this night, God's passing through in judgment. Now sin demands death. There's got to be death in every house. Either the firstborn is going to die or the substitute is going to die. But there's got to be death in every house. And when God sees the blood on the door, the side post and across the top, this is what he knows. There's already been death in this house tonight. His justice can pass over. Now we know this. The blood's got to be shed, doesn't it? There must be payment. There must be payment. The only payment that God will accept is perfect blood. The blood of Christ must be shed. He must be sacrificed. There's got to be death for sin. But listen, the blood also must be applied to the doorposts. It must. Even if everything else is done right. The lamb is, is selected. It's a perfect lamb. It's watched for 14 days. There's no hidden defects. At the, the correct appointed hour, that lamb is, is sacrificed. It, it's throat is slit, the, the blood is caught in the basin, the body is roast with fire, I eat the lamb with my shoes on my feet and my staff on my hand, I eat it in haste just like God said to do. If I do everything right and don't put the blood on the door, the firstborn's going to die. I mean, that's how important this thing is. The blood must be applied. Now here's the picture. Christ, the Lamb of God, must die as my substitute. There's got to be death for sin, either me or Christ. Either me or my substitute. There's got to be death for sin. 
Well, I know this. I said this earlier. It's just an historical fact. Christ has died. Everybody knows this. The Lord Jesus died on a cross on Calvary's mountain. Now, he's died. His blood has been shed. He took the blood before the Father, didn't he? But now his blood must be applied to my heart or I'm going to perish. Now, when Scripture speaks of the blood applied to our hearts, this is what it's talking about. It's talking about the new birth. There's got to be a new birth where there's a new righteous nature born. David talked about it in Psalm 51, verse 7. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now, why did David say purge me with hyssop? Why didn't he say purge me with blood? Why did he say purge me with hyssop? Because hyssop is how the blood is applied. Hyssop, that's why they took this hyssop at some little old plant. And they took that hyssop and dipped it in the blood and put it on the doorpost with the hyssop. The other thing I remember about hyssop is this. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would dip that hyssop into blood and sprinkle it. That's how he'd sprinkle that, that blood. Hyssop is the blood being applied. This is what David's saying. Lord, if you apply the blood of Christ to my heart, I'll be clean. I'll be righteous. If you give me a new nature, I'll be righteous. Now, I want to show you this because this is important. I don't want you to just take my word for it. Look at Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. He's, got to, he's going to redeem us. He's going to put away the sin of his people. He's going to pay the sin debt, redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now Christ gave himself. He shed his blood to pay the sin debt of his people, to redeem them. But that same blood also purifies the hearts of his people and gives them a new nature. When that blood of Christ is applied to our hearts, that's how we're purified, given a new nature. This old nature cannot be made pure. God's going to put it in the ground, get rid of it. The only way we're purified is God gives us a new nature. Preacher, how do you know that's what Paul's saying here in Titus? Fair question. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, and I can show you. See, if you want to find out what Scripture means, read the rest of Scripture. Get a commentary on it. Here's what Paul, this is what he's saying. The writer to Hebrews says the same thing. Hebrews 9, verse 11. But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the, by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. The blood of Christ was shed, he took it before the Father, redemption was accomplished, the price was paid. Now read on, verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, and all that's talking about is the, the ceremonial uh, uh, 
blood and sprinkling of the blood and all that that, that was going on in the Old Testament, that never purified anybody. God just accepted it as a ceremony. It was a picture of Christ. Verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now in the new birth, when the blood is applied to the hearts of God's people, they receive a brand new nature, a nature that's holy and righteous. That nature trusts Christ. It believes Christ. It rests rests upon Christ. And here's the evidence that you've been born again. Here's the evidence. How do you think, well, that sounds very mysterious. How can, how can I tell if I've been born again? Do you trust Christ? Do you trust him to be everything that you need? Paul, or the writer to the Hebrews, whoever that was here, says, talks about the conscience. If you've been born again, your conscience is going to quit telling you to do good works in order to please God. Because Christ already did that for you. His obedience pleased God for you. His sacrifice pleased God for you. And you trust in Christ. Now see, only the new nature that God gives is going to believe that. So I need God, the Holy Spirit, to apply that blood to me. And make me be born again. I was in a conversation with a man one time. said, now the work of the Spirit, that, that's not nearly as important as the work of Christ in, in redemption. He actually didn't think that the work of the Father was as important as the work of the Son in redemption. I said, let me ask you this. Can you wake in Christ's likeness and glory without it? Without the work of the Holy Spirit? Cause you to be born again? No, sir. No more than that firstborn could live if the blood wasn't applied to the door. See that? I need God to give me a new nature. Cause me to be born again. And here's the other thing about applying the, the blood. Look back in our text. A father, the head of the home, he selected the lamb. He went out there at the right time. He slit that lamb's throat. He caught the, the blood in the basin. He roasted the lamb, the whole lamb, the pertinence thereof. And he took that blood and he applied it to the door. And he went in, closed the door, sat down, and ate the firstborn. Or ate the, ate the firstborn. Ate the, ate the lamb. His firstborn sitting right there next to him. I bet you his mama was on the other side of him, don't you think? That's how it'd be in my house. I don't know about your house. That'd be in my house. That father had nothing to worry about. That firstborn had nothing to worry about. Because the blood had been applied to the door. Why did the father apply the blood to the door? He believed God. He believed God would pass over his house and not kill his firstborn if he put the blood on the door. That's what God said to do. He believed God. That's the only reason he'd go out there and put that blood on that door. Here's the fourth point. I must believe Christ. I must believe. I must trust my soul to Christ. Verse 8. And they, they shall eat the flesh, and that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Now, they're, they're going to eat this lamb in a specific way. Eat it with bitter herbs. And I'll tell you what that's a picture of. It's repentance. And repentance is not, I'm going to quit sinning. I'm going to turn over a new leaf and start doing better. That's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Repentance is a turning. 
I start believing something that's a totally the opposite of what I used to believe. Repentance is just this. It's quit trusting my works and turn to trust Christ. That's what repentance is. That's what the bitter herbs represent. That's bitter to the flesh. To give up my works, to give up my credit, to give up my glory, to give up how everybody's telling me how good I am. I got to give that up and trust Christ alone. That's bitter to the flesh, isn't it? can't be saved without it. I cannot be saved trusting Christ and trusting me too. Saving faith trusts Christ alone. Which is verse 9. says, Eat not of it raw, nor sodden it all with water, but roast with fire, his head, with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. The whole lamb had to be eaten. See, if I would be saved, I must believe the whole Christ. Christ must be everything to me. Eating the whole Christ means this. I believe everything the Word of God says about the Savior. Everything. Man, I can't take a partial Christ. I can't take what I like of what I read and discard the rest and do something else that I like. I have to take the whole Christ. It's salvation is all Christ. And when I believe Christ, that's what I'm saying. I believe He's all. He's all I need. Verse 10. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning you should burn with fire. See, none of this lamb could be wasted. None of it could be thrown away. You couldn't save some of it, you know, as leftovers. And you know how you do. You have some leftovers and you forget they're in the refrigerator. And men say, oh, I'm going to eat that. Your wife says, no, 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 don't eat that. That's how many every day is old, you know. In our house, I don't care what it, if, if it's been more than a day. I mean, how... The, the number of days changes. Y'all don't need to know this, but i got to say it. The number of days when it turns bad changes. You know, just don't want me eating something. going to be sick. Oh, that's been there three days. You can't eat that. This lamb can't be that way. It can't be left over. And where you got to throw it away because it went bad. You know why? Because the sacrifice of Christ never goes bad. None of his sacrifice was wasted. Everyone for whom he died is saved. Christ didn't shed his blood and say, oh well, you know, these people, that, you know, my blood would have worked for them, but they wouldn't accept me, so, you know, that blood shed for them is wasted. No, sir. Everyone for whom Christ died is completely and utterly redeemed because he is the successful Savior. Not one drop of his blood was wasted. And I'm telling you, that gives me a lot of confidence to trust him. Don't you like trusting somebody can't fail? That's who I want to trust. Verse 11. And thus shall you eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. Now you see, I must eat the lamb. I must eat it. Nobody else can do it for me. I must do it. I must eat the lamb in faith. Now on this first Passover, you know how you could tell the evidence somebody believed God? They ate the lamb with their shoes on their feet, their staff in their hand. They ate it in haste. I'm getting ready to leave this place. Now you're a slave. You've been here for 400 years. You've got absolutely no power. You've got no army. You've got the Pharaoh said, I will not let your people go. How do you know when you eat this lamb, you're leaving here in the middle of the night? How do you know that? God said so. That's why I got my staff in my hand, my shoes on my feet, my loins girt. I'm ready to go. 
The scripture talks about eating Christ. Remember the Lord said, whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood. What he's talking about there is faith in Christ. Salvation is union with Christ. But now listen, I must believe Christ for myself. You must believe Christ for yourself. Now I haven't been preaching grace and preaching the you know salvation's all a, a, a work of God, and suddenly I'm making the work and putting something on you. When I say you must believe Christ, I'm not putting the work on you. Because if you hadn't figured it out yet, let me tell you, you can't make yourself believe on Christ. You cannot do it. You can't do it. I I wish I could tell you how much time in my life I wasted trying to make myself believe on Christ. You cannot do it. I can't make myself believe on Christ. Faith is the gift of God. Eric, I can't make myself believe on Christ, but I sure can ask him to give it to me. (laughs) If faith is a gift of God, wouldn't it be a mighty good idea to ask him to give it to you? (laughs) It's a gift. Lord, would you give that gift to me? (laughs) That's the only way I'll believe you. If I want to be saved, I must believe Christ. Nobody else can do it for me. I tell you, if you are here this evening and you, you know you don't know Christ, you know you don't believe him, you know you don't trust him, you know you're not saved, you know it. Tell you what I'd do if I was you. I'd hear the gospel preached as often as humanly possible. You know why I say that? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that brings me to my last point. I must hear the gospel preached over and over and over again. Verse 14. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. And you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Now Christ the Lamb doesn't need to be sacrificed over and over and over again. One sacrifice of Christ was enough to justify his people and put their sin away, make them righteous. Christ doesn't need to be sacrificed over and over and over again. But we sure do need to be reminded of his sacrifice over and over and over again, don't we? We need to be reminded of who he is over and over and over again. That's why we keep preaching the gospel. That's why we keep saying the same thing from a different text over and over and over and over again. We need to be reminded. And believers, they have a commitment to Christ. They have a commitment to the gospel. They have a commitment to hearing it. They they have a commitment to, to support the gospel. They have a commitment to be here. You know why? They have a commitment that's born out of need. I need Christ. I need him. This is not just a ceremony I'm going through now. I need him. I need to hear of him over and over. I need to. And the Lord, in his tenderness for his people, gave us this preaching of the gospel, and he gave us this ordinance that we're about to observe for this purpose. Why did he say do this with this wine, this unleavened bread? Why did he say do this? In remembrance of me. So I need to be reminded over and over and over again. Now, aren't you thankful for this, this reminder, this simple reminder, the unleavened bread pictures his sinless body that was broken under the rod of his father's justice for my sin. And this wine 
Nothing tastes like wine, does it? A distinctive reminder of his blood shed to put away my sin. To be reminded again, salvation is complete in the blood of Christ and his sacrifice. And when I take that bread and I take that wine, I'm taking it in faith, saying he's all I need. He's all I want. Isn't that a good reminder? I got a minute. Let me tell you this story. Heard it from your papa. Brother Marvin went to uh, went to Fairmont to be the pastor. Brother Scott Richardson been pastor there for I don't know years and years and years and years, over fifty years. And Marvin became a pastor. Scott and Marvin became such such close 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 friends. Scott just supported him and just oh they were, they were good friends. And not too awful long before Brother Scott died, he came to Marvin and he pulled out of his pocket a pocket knife and he gave it to Marvin. He said, Marvin, he said, I want you to have this. He said, I want you to have it so you remember me. And Brother Marvin says, Brother Scott, I'll never forget you. He said, well, I want you to have this knife so you remember me. And Marvin said, well, thank you. Marvin carries it in his pocket and every time Glenda's got a little thread sticking off. He'll get that knife out and open it and get that thread in to remember Scott. Marvin gets a letter and he gets that knife out and opens up and open up the envelope. He remembers Brother Scott. The Lord gave us this to remember his precious person sacrificed for us. Isn't that special? All right, Wayne, if you men would distribute the bread.